Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. So this morning as we look in this concept of being unalone, even in your Bible reading, you don't have to do that alone. In the day of technology, you can sit there and participate and, and connect. Um, we were jumped off with this thought last week, that God created life to be lived and enjoyed with others. He created it for that way. That is how it is enjoyed the most, is whenever we connect with others. And if we begin to diminish that and we begin to not really embrace that, it's gonna, it's, it's, we're going to miss out. And yes, there are some things that you can kind of take out and you can weed some of this out and still get the picture. But full life, full life is lived when we're connected with others. Whenever I was in college at ASU, my, I have a, had a dual major in government and communications. And I was taking my, some of my communications classes. And, and uh, that's the, the stuff I use the most. Um, now, I don't use my government degree hardly at all. And, uh, but uh, all my communications stuff, I, I utilized that. And I had my first time to sit in front of a computer with some graphics design software and begin to learn some really, really basic design software. I so wish that ASU had taught Photoshop or something else back then, but they taught CorelDRAW. And that's all I still know to this day is CorelDRAW. Nobody hardly uses CorelDRAW. And so, except for me. And, uh, but anyways, we're sitting there and we're using CorelDRAW. You have this tool where you can begin to crop. So you have a picture and we crop. Everybody knows about cropping these days because you, you crop your pictures to take the people that happen to be in it out. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to post that on Facebook, but I don't want that person in there. Crop. You know, man, this is, all this looks really, really good except for that. And so we understand that, but from an artistic perspective, we're not necessarily just looking. Cropping isn't just about something, man, all right, and about simply just taking out something that you didn't want. And what they begin to do is teach us to say how, <coughs> look at an image and begin to crop it down to where it is the, the least amount of image that's there, but you still recognize it you still see it so she gave us an image of a cat it just had this 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 um this silhouette of a cat so you know if you crop out everything but the tail and all you leave is a tail well that could be who knows what it could be a monkey it could be who knows what you know you could crop out just a foot you know that maybe you might have an idea if it showed the bottom of the paw and anyways but i finally got it down to where you could crop out most of just the head and you could see the ear and, the, and you go you could still say that's a cat. You cut it down much more than that. You couldn't tell it was a cat anymore. And so many times we, we think of this that we begin to look at our lives and this thing of dealing with others, especially as we push forward in life, can become so painful. And we recognize that there's this thing as being a Christian that we're supposed to love God and to love other people. And so many times we can find ourselves in a place that instead of being excited about God bringing in new relationships and God bringing in new things and expanding our connection with others, we tend to find ourselves in a place where we begin to crop 
our relationships. And we want to come in and we think, okay, God, how few relationships can I have and still feel like I have fellowship? How small can I get this and it still feel like I'm meeting the requirement for fellowship? How much can I, how many people can I kick out of my life? Can I get rid of the drama? Can I get rid of this and bring it down? And if you take a glance at my life, you go, ooh, there's still people there. That's not what God has called us to do. Folks, believe it or not, we, the best image we have of eternity is there. And when it says that there before the throne of the Father is a sea of humanity that no man can number. A sea of humanity that nobody can number. We're able to process some pretty big numbers, folks. And God's heart is for not to things to be cropped down and, and people eliminated, but for God to add people to our lives. And if we don't have our hearts open, then somebody's going to frustrate us and we're going to go crop. Somebody's going to disappoint us and we're going to go crop. And we're going to finally get down to there's a couple of relationships that we're willing to put the effort into to keep them in. But I'm telling you, we need to have our hearts expanded and see this. Why? Because this is so vital. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 <clears throat> one more time. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and, and he tells us in uh, verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the, <clears throat> with the measure of the fullness of God. He wants us to have the big picture. He wants us to have the fullness of God. He wants us to understand how high and long and deep and wide is the love of God. And the only way we're going to do that is together. That's the only way that's going to happen. Otherwise, we each have our own little snippet, our own little cropped out picture of God. And we pick it up and we go, yep, that's God. And I believe he loves me and he's for me and I, I'm cool with this. But as we begin to add each other's pieces together, then it becomes, it becomes a better place. See, the word tells us as we'll get into the next couple of weeks that God is building a habitation. He's building a place. We're called the body of Christ for his presence to dwell in a mighty way. And that, that strength comes from us being connected. He wants us to be together. That's where the strength of all of these small pieces. And with this week, we uh, did some digging. I use we real lightly. I dug for about an hour and a half. And I've come to the decision that if, if you ever have to get in a fight with a professional ditch digger, run the other way. Because somebody digs, digs a ditch for a living 40 hours a week, that person is going to be one tough guy or get, lady. Girls can dig ditches, too. And uh, but I'm telling you, it's some hard work. And uh, so we are getting ready to put in the bathrooms. The line for the bathroom is not going to last forever, folks. It's not going to last forever. We're going to add like 20 plus toilets right across this lobby area. So we have plenty of space to take our business. And uh, anyways, the uh, uh, 
So we, we have to dig, you know. You, you, want the, you want the plumbing to be like where you don't see it, you know. We want to get it underground, out of sight, out of mind, carry on everything down the line. And, uh, and so we had to bust up the concrete and dig. And we began to dig and bust it up, and, and we rented a little backhoe, and Keenan got to learn how to operate a little bitty backhoe and do some digging. And man, I don't know about you, but there's just something really wonderful about the smell of freshly turned dirt. Am I the only person that thinks that's just an awesome smell? Just freshly turned dirt. Just, it just has a great, awesome smell. And I was trying to, I'm not a farmer. I don't have this great connection to go, ooh, that's money, you know. I, I, I don't have that. And so, but what I did, I was thinking about it all week, and I was like, man, I step in there, and I smell the turned dirt, and I'm like, man, that just makes me feel good. And then I remembered why. It's because when I was a kid, I loved to dig holes, and it was, just, it was just childhood smell all over again. We've been having a ton of childhood smells this week, and so we had a childhood smell all over again, and, and I, I just loved to dig, and I would get on the side of the house where my mom couldn't see the holes, and I would just dig, and we would dig holes, and sadly, I was, a, I was a, a little bit of a punk at times, and I would cover those holes with some branches and some leaves and antagonize some of the neighbor kids and try to get them to fall in the hole. And so, um, you know, I didn't realize what kind of lawsuit that could have been for my parents. Praise God, nobody, uh, nobody fell in the hole. But anyway, so I dig holes and, and do stuff, and of course... Any 10-year-old boy, his biggest goal is not just to dig a hole big enough to hide himself in. That's awesome. You dig a hole big enough to hide yourself in, that's just, that's just awesome. There's something cozy and like nice and cool about being in a hole. It's just awesome. But what's even better is you dig two holes and you connect them with a tunnel. That is awesome. That is amazing. And so I began to, I dug two big holes and began to sit there and dig and, and connect them and create this tunnel that you could then weasel your way through and get out and go. Well, this is Odessa, Texas. This is just sod dirt. This is just a bunch of loose mess. And so what I think is pretty amazing, I didn't have the eyes of an adult who understood what was going on. So I dig these two holes passed through it a couple of times. It's awesome. So now I want to show my mom. And I go and I show my mom, and I'm like, look what I did. This is all. She's like, fill that in right now. Fill those holes. And I'm like, what? She's like, you know that could collapse on you? I can't believe you. Have you already crawled through that? Yeah, a couple of times. She's like, ah. You can see the anxiety just, just grip her. And she's like, fill it in right now. And see, what I thought was that that by removing stuff was going to make it a better place for me to live. It was a better place for me to be, a better place for me to hang out. What I didn't realize in my ignorance that every scoop of dirt was, that I removed made it more dangerous. Every scoop of dirt that I pulled out to make a little more room for it to be a little more comfortable for me actually was making it more dangerous for me to inhabit that place. And that's the truth of our relationship with the body of Christ. 
We so want to think, you know what, if I can just push some people out and get them out here where I can hold them at a distance, it's going to be a better place. I'm going to be less wounded. I'm going to be less disappointed. I'm going to have less of all of the negative stuff in my life. But it's just not true. Every time we, we push some people out, we're making our lives a little bit more dangerous as believers. There is this place of safety as we stay connected and, and <clears throat> cozied up to the body of Christ. That's where God has called us to live and to thrive. As we keep <clears throat> moving forward in our notes, I want us to look at <clears throat> this concept that you and I are more when we are one than when we are alone. We're more when we are one. There's a place where two becoming one is actually more. We think going down in the number scale is becoming less. But no, as we begin to unite and we become this place, we actually are becoming stronger. Well, the easiest place for us to understand it is, you know, the old uh, um, piece of pizza, you know. Make a homemade pizza, and then you come it out, pulls it out of your oven, you pull that DiGiorno out, and how many pieces is it? It's one. And Keenan says, that's a him-sized slice. There we go. And as soon as it becomes two, well, there's a little bit less. And all of a sudden, you factor all the Clarks in there, and it's like, there ain't no pizza left. We're going to need some more of these. Because every time we begin to say, I want mine, and I want mine, and I want mine, and I want mine, it becomes to be smaller and smaller and smaller. But when we connect and let God do something bigger in our lives, it changes everything. Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 says, In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This building where God lives by His Spirit, that everywhere you go, there it is. And all this construction we've been trying to, digging holes is hard, so you get some equipment. Well, one of the things we used is Rocky Templin brought his, his uh, little skid steer over here, and he had a, um, a trencher. So he fired the trencher up, and this is a diesel piece of equipment inside this building. So we're all in one building, and he runs this diesel thing for about two, <clears throat> two hours. And pretty soon, no matter where you went in this building, diesel. You can try to go hide in the bathroom, diesel. There was everywhere you went. I went, my clothes smelled of diesel, that it was one habitation. And everywhere you went, still still was connected by that thing that inhabited it. How beautiful would it be? How beautiful would it be that as the body of Christ grows and we stay connected with one another, that as somebody comes in contact with you, that they go, wow, man, God's really at work in their lives. That's, that's God. Then they come in contact with the next person. Oh, wow. Wow. It's God. Wow, there's something special happening. And then they come in contact with me. Wow, there's something special happening. Wow. And everywhere they go. What if every time, no matter what banner we hung outside, what denominational plaque, if we were sitting there, we were for each other and connected with each other, they still felt 
the love of God. Maybe some doctrinal differences, maybe some little bit of teaching differences, but everywhere they came, all of a sudden the presence of God begins to expand. It begins to permeate everything. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. It says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. See, God's presence, God's presence is everywhere. And you and I have the Holy Spirit that indwells. And we can begin to kind of take that for granted. But there is something special that takes place when two or more of us begin to connect with one another, that God begins to show up there in a special way. That's why church is so important. It's you and I connecting together. That's why small groups are so important and prayer partners are so important and and having people in your life that are on the same page with you in your spiritual journey are so important. Now, I quickly want to point something out. Let's put that scripture up on the screen again. And it says, where two or three are gathered in my name. Now, is this that that Jesus is kind of leaving himself some wiggle room? You know, sometimes two. Nah, not today. I'm going to wait for three. Two or three, I don't know. 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> it's, so why is it two or three? It's kind of random that Jesus would say two, maybe three. Some of you Christians are kind of wimpy. We need a couple of more of y'all to get together. <laughs> Some of you are kind of half there. No, that's not what he's saying. My pastor explained it to me this way. When is two, one? In marriage. See, here's the temptation. This is that thing that so many times we could sit there and that cutie and I go, you know what? Well, we're just going to deal with this together. We're in a place of agreement. We're in a place that we're going through things. Well, you know what? There are times that, yes, that that place of agreement, but if we want to be connected with the body of Christ, we can't just sit here and go, you know what? We're enough. If it's me and somebody that I'm not as one with, well, that's two. Well, all of a sudden, but if it's me and my person that I'm at one with, we're going to need to find somebody else to pull in here and bring a part of this. We can't stay isolated and alone and feel like we're in some sort of place of agreement. We can't get off by ourselves. We're two or three, depending on how things unfold on that. But the point of this is that, that there's this special presence, this special thing where we come connected together in, <clears throat> in the name of Christ. I want us to look at a place where Jesus prayed for us. See, when Jesus prayed for you and I, he prayed that we would be one. We're going to look at John 17 and and you think about Jesus praying and, and looking forward to, to believers in the future, to people who were going to believe based on what the disciples that were with him right there, he prayed for them before in John 17, and then he shifts. In just a second, you'll see that. And he shifts and begins to pray for everyone who would believe because of their message. Well, guess what? Thousands of years and thousands of miles later, that's you and me. We're part of this group. 
And you know what? I, I would think that he would begin to pray for, you know, for us to have power, for us to have boldness, for us to be able to do all these different things, for us to, to live righteously, for us to, to be holy, for us to, to, <clears throat> to do all of these other concepts that we can get wrapped up in and think that this is what really being a Christian is all about. But Jesus prayed for one thing. He prayed that we would be one. Let's look at this. Verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. All of them. That's everyone who's called on the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone who recognizes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to Father except by him. You know what? There's a whole lot more people who fall under that category than than you may think. There's a whole lot of people who have placed their faith in Christ, and they may differ as soon as we begin to talk about doctrine and we begin to talk about our beliefs, and we get off of that, we, we could go all sorts of different angles. All sorts of different angles. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ if they believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him. That Jesus has paved the way and Jesus has done it. He, so he wants all of us to be one. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we really think about what Jesus is saying here, that the world believing that he actually came He's here on the planet. He's going to be going to the cross very, very soon. It's the most important thing ever. And he says, there's all of these people that are coming later that are going to hear the message and that they would believe that what we're living right now actually happened. It hinges on, and they're going to embrace it the most if his followers, if his children are one. So is it any surprise that the enemy fights us getting along with each other more than anything else. Is it any surprise? Because according to Jesus, what, what the world is going to connect with of him actually having come is whether they look at us and see any kind of connection and any kind of love and any kind of unity. Not all the other stuff we can get wrapped up in. This, are this is Jesus' prayer. He said so that they will actually believe that you sent me. He said, I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And you can think on that so much that he's given us the same glory. The glory that was on Jesus is what God wants to manifest on you and I. Oh, we could talk about that for months. He said that, <clears throat> that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I'm so thankful that it says they may be brought to complete unity. You know what? As Jesus is recognizing, we won't necessarily be there. But that needs to be our goal. That needs to be our heart. That we will be brought into a place of unity. And then again, he repeats himself. He says, then the world will know that you sent me. It wasn't a just one little thought that you can kind of, oh, pastor, you're kind of carrying that too far. No, Jesus repeats it. 
for the world to embrace that Jesus actually came and did what he did. It is so important that you and I be open-hearted and connected with every other Christ follower that's going to be a part of that seed of humanity that no man can number. It is so, so vital. And then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. For the world to know that they're loved, you and I are going to have to be in a place of unity and connection, operate in a place of love. For you and I to be backbiting and, and tearing each other up speaks to the world that they're unloved by God. <laughs> to watch the infighting and the destruction and us not being for each other speaks to the world that they're not loved by God. That's what Jesus wanted. He came, he completed his assignment, he wanted the whole world to know about it, and he prayed for what would get in the way. You and I being at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ and not operating in a place of love. He goes on in verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. See, Jesus' desire is to, is to be in a place of, of unity and connection with us as well. And it all comes back to this place of love in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Jesus understands this whole thing is about love. He's going into the biggest battle of ever, the most epic battle ever, where Jesus comes in and makes everything right. Everything that was busted, jacked up, messed over, Jesus comes in and fixes it. And his focus is on love. Maybe you watched the game this past Monday where Clemson took on the, uh, the Crimson Satan, I mean the Crimson Tide, and um, uh, took on Alabama. And uh, anyways, and so uh, um, anyways, but uh, it, was, it was a great game. You know, commentators have tried to say that it was the best national championship ever. I'm sorry, but um, everybody from Texas knows when UT beat USC, that was the best national championship that had ever taken place. And so, but this was a great game. This was a great game. And um, as Clemson comes in, gets their opportunity for retribution, I mean, they're, they, they lost. They lost the big game last year. They recoup, and they're rebuilding. And I love what Dabo Sweeney, when he was interviewed, the emotions were still so rich, and he couldn't even hardly contain himself, and he was still taking it in that they had, that they had won it in that very last drive, and I, I just, I love what he had to say, and I'm sitting there watching that interview, and I'm like taking notes as he is sitting there talking. I was like, this is so good, and he, this is what he said. He said, I told them tonight, I told them that the difference in the game was going to be love. You know what? And that's a funny word to find in a football huddle. Love. But you could kind of twist it and go, because we love football more than anybody else. We love the game. It's for the love of the game. Hoo, hoo, hoo. You can get going. 
We can do this. We can get it going. But that's not what he said. He said, he said, my word all years been love. He said, he said, I said, tonight we're going to win it because we love each other. <clears throat> we're going to because we love each other. I don't know how, but we're going to win it. He said, I told them at halftime, guys, we're going to go win this game. I don't know how, but we're going to win it because we love each other. In October of this year, his, his, his quarterback, had, uh, Watson, had, had, had just exited an interview. And this coach is sitting over to the side and in front of the reporters everywhere. He yells across the little <coughs> press conference room, I love you. And Watson turns around and says, I love you too. In a place where everybody wants to pound their chest and talk about how good they are and how awesome they are and that it's their work and their ethic and their brilliance. It was so refreshing to see that a group of men said, you know what, we're going to love each other and we're going to be for each other. You know what love does? Love lets happen what happened in that game happen. The guy gets important drive, gets hit right in the hands, misses the catch. That was it. They send in the punter. They're behind. It's, it's ugly. It's ugly. But because they loved each other, guess what? Love covers a multitude of sin. And because he missed it, he wasn't benched. He wasn't punished. He wasn't thrown to the curb. Guess what? He makes this ridiculous catch on that game-winning drive, and he lays out and does this weird contorted thing, grabs the ball, and it's like, whoo, that was awesome. Because of a, in an environment of love, and some people can get together and play a dumb game. And I'm sorry, folks, it's a dumb game. I watch it, but it's still just a game. And be connected because of love. And folks, how much more can you and I, with people and eternity on the line, think that strategy and buildings and, and well put together things are going to do anything if love isn't the baseline? Amen. If love isn't it, more than anything, I. Uh, I pray when people walk in this building, I don't, I don't want people going, oh, how beautiful. I don't want people coming in when it's all finished and going, wow, these people really did it right. I want people walking in and seeing some faces and going, man, I feel loved. I feel loved. I feel like this is a safe place to be. I feel like, man, that it's going to make a difference in my life. There's some gorgeous buildings around that do nothing for anybody. But I tell you what, the love of God connected with the people of God, it changes everything. Amen. Uh, see, the love you and I have for each other is what will make the most impact. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's it. 
Not by the Christian t-shirts we wear. I wear them. Not by the, our, our sweet little scriptures we post on Facebook. And we post them and that's great. But when it's all said and done, they're going to know based on if we love one another. And not the old standard of love one another as yourself, as if that wasn't challenging enough. This is love like Jesus loved. And praise God, he didn't throw this command at us and leave us on our own. He gave us his spirit to empower us to live that out. We're not having to do it in and of our own strength. You probably noticed today that we've said a lot of you and I. And anybody that's been around Celebration Church knows I love cheesiness. And so today's bottom line, I warned Nat before he even made the bullet. I was like, I'm going to warn you, my bottom line is cheesy, buddy. And then he read it, and he's like, man, that's like cheap, like, sorry, wrapped in a, wrapped in a plastic wrap, cheap cheese. I was like, yeah, it is, but we can get it in everybody's hands. And so here it is. Our bottom line is unity begins with you and I. All through this, it's about you and I. We can't rail against any other, anybody else in the body of Christ and say, man, there'd be a lot of unity if they'd quit doing that over there. There'd be a lot of unity if they'd stop that over there. No, it starts here. You carry unity with you everywhere you go. As much, it, you're as unified with the other brothers and sisters in Christ as you want to be. You're as supportive of the other brothers and sisters in Christ as you want to be. It begins with you and I. And as you and I begin to love and as you and I begin to extend and you and I begin to support and you and I begin to pray for people that might are going to do church a little different than us. And we genuinely support them, we genuinely begin to lift them up. I'm telling you, that is what's going to make a difference in this community. That is it. It's the love of God. See, let this year be a time when you let God build and nurture the relationships in your life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.